If ever I love thee, my Jesus, it's now. Sometimes I stand before a sermon, and well, this is one of those that was going one place, and my fingers wrote something else. And that's, it's strange when that happens, but it's sort of cool. And it's one of those that I, I want you to understand this so badly that I can't stand it. I know, I know that I know that I know that I know that there are people in this congregation that if they could grasp this one single concept about God, it would revolutionize your life. That your worries would disappear over time. And that your confidence would improve over time because you would understand it's not you, it's him. And I want you to understand that. And I really want this morning, I, I prayed before we got here that you would not be just checking off your weekly thing that you had to go to church this morning and you had to listen to that guy stand up in the front and talk for 30 minutes. And then I want you to hear. And this is hard. And it may be different from something you've heard before. I want you to hear. Try to stay with me. Try to listen to what we're talking about. First thing I want to do is tell you a story, because that's what I do. 1969 was a very good year. Some of you don't remember it, because many of you were not here. 1969 was a good year. It was a year that my family took our first family vacation somewhere other than going to a grandparents, uh, my grandparents' house that they had up on the lake. We went to Daytona Beach, Florida. Oh, man. 13 years old, going to Daytona Beach, Florida. And I was a space nut. You know that. You know that. I was a nerd. And, and they, mom and dad took us down on a tour of Kennedy Space Center. And I got to see Apollo 11 sitting on launch pad 39A, waiting to go to the moon. I saw it in the 1st of July. At the end of July, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins rode that bad boy to the moon, and two of them landed on the moon, and I saw the rocket, and you didn't. Woo! I'm telling you, that was cool. That was cool. But I also learned something else very special on that trip. Things aren't always what they seem, you know, I'm 13 years old. I have always loved to walk places, always. I don't know how that, it's in my DNA. I just like to walk and see things. You, can, you get a better view of stuff. And I'm standing out on the beach, and I look up, up from where we're standing, and, and, and in the distance, and, and it didn't look that far to me, in the distance you could see the boardwalk at Daytona Beach and, and the pier that juts out into the Atlantic Ocean. And it just didn't look that far. And I kept badgering mom and dad, well, you know, let's, let's walk up there. Let's walk up there. Let's walk up there. Let's walk up there. Y'all know how kids are. And eventually, the, you know, mom and dad couldn't stand it anymore. They said, okay, we'll walk. So me and my, how old was Russ? I wrote that down. Seven-year-old brother Russell. And mom and dad and I started walking. I figured we'd be there in no time. You know, it's just not that far. We walked for an hour. It wasn't any closer. And we kept walking, and we kept walking, and we kept, and you know, there's, there's the point where you realize that what you're doing is ridiculous, but you've gone too far, you got to follow it through. 
We hit that point and we kept on walking. And we walked and we walked and we walked until finally we got to the pier. And when we got there, me and Russell were too exhausted to do anything. We were done. We got an ice cream, which is always good. Two things redeemed that trip. Number one is my daddy remembered his wallet. And that's a good thing because that meant daddy had some money. The second thing was is they had this little trolley that they dressed up like a train that drove back down the beach. So my daddy took the money that he was going to use for something else and we were on that trolley riding home. If we had had to walk, I'd still be sleeping on the beach. I learned a great lesson. Sometimes how you see things makes a world of difference in how you act. Sometimes how you see things makes a world of difference. The first chapter of the book of Ephesians is rich. We're going to be in Ephesians for a while. But instead of starting at verse 1, verses 9 through 11 jumped out at me. And what's weird is they jumped out at me for one reason. And then when we sat down and started working on the sermon the other day, it, it turned into something completely different and something better. It's Ephesians 1, 9 through 11. Now, normally I read from the New American Standard Version. I like the New American Standard better. It's a more literal translation of the, of the text. But in this particular case, New American Standard is a little hard to understand. The word order and the words they use, it, it's not quite, doesn't, it's not easy to read. That's what I'm looking for. So I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. So listen to it. Now, you've got it open. Listen to it. Follow along with me. God has now revealed to us, he has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ. A plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. What that means, he wants to do this. He's not doing it by compulsion or need. He wants to do this. He wants to make this happen. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Y'all been watching any football? Been watching any of the NFL? Yeah, I got a little surprised the other day when I turned on the television and I saw the Falcons playing, and they were playing good. And I was sitting there, and I said something about that. And Renee looked at me with that, you know, honey, you've got four heads kind of look. And she says, Randy, they're in the playoffs. And I said, the Falcons? See, I quit watching Atlanta teams a long time ago. They, they hurt my feelings too many times, you know. They're ahead by 900 points, and then they lose by two. And you go, what? You know, two minutes remaining in the game. And they're ahead by 10 and they lose it. What? What? Couldn't you guys just played for another two minutes? It'd been fine. So I hadn't paid any attention. Well, here's the Atlanta Falcons on and they're playing good football. And I'm all excited. And I, you know, it helped my belief in miracles. I believe they're going to beat Green Bay today. I just, you know, yeah, there you go. So anyway, one of the fun things about watching football on television versus going to the stadium is on television you get to see the instant replay. And now you've got all the color commentators, you know, and they draw the X's and the O's and the lines, and they point out all this stuff. And I was watching a game. It was the game that came on after the Falcons game. I don't remember who it was. But they had the coolest play 
there. It really was very cool. The quarterback takes the snap. He drops back just a little bit. Linebacker comes over. He hands off to the linebacker, and then he just walks away because his end of this thing is over. And everybody's blocking to this side. Everybody's blocking to this side. And the running back, man, he's got the ball tucked in, and he's going. And then about that time, the quarterback looks up, and one of his other just one little receiver had drifted downfield, and he popped that receiver with the ball. Big, I can't remember if it's a touchdown or not, but I know it was a long yardage play. And they replayed that thing, and you could watch all of those linemen. Every one of those linemen are blocking in this direction. Everything's going in this direction. Everything's moving in this direction. And then you got the quarterback just sort of like, okie doke, my turn's over. Hey, oh, there's my guy. Boom. And he, score, and, he, and he completes the pass. Now, what's cool about that? What's cool about that is the coach had a pretty good hunch. He had a pretty good hunch. Now, follow me. He had a pretty good hunch that if the quarterback could really hide the ball well, if he could really act and pull this thing off and hide the ball well, and the running back could do his thing and run close enough to everybody that was blocking in the direction that he was going to run, looking at like it's run. He had a pretty good idea that everybody on that team would bite and would move. And if they bit and moved, he knew that his one little guy that was wandering off down along the sideline would be open and he could complete the pass and they'd, and they'd do what they were supposed to do. It happened exactly as he hoped it would. Now, think about this. What would the game of football look like if there was one coach who knew what was going to happen? He didn't have a hunch. He didn't have experience. It wasn't that he was, had seen this before and it was going to happen this, this way. That he knew, that he knew how every player on that field was going to react and how every play was going to work out. What if you had a coach that knew what the, what would, uh, the score, what would the score be if the coach knew before the play, before the play, that the receiver was guaranteed to catch the ball? He knew he was going to catch the ball. What would the score be if the coach knew that the other team was going to take the bait before the play ever started, what would the score look like? And not just on one play, but every play. The other team wouldn't even score because the coach would know their plays before they ever ran their plays. He knows everything about that field. He knows everything that's going to happen. If you had a coach that knew it all, it wouldn't be a fair game. Say hello to God. Say hello to God. You ever heard of the end of verse 11? The end of verse 11 says this, and makes everything work out according to his plan. He makes everything work out according to his plan. Y'all stay with me. Y'all stay with me. Makes everything work out. Now, I know in the back of your mind, some of you are triggering Romans 8, 28. And what you're hearing in King James, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. That is not where we're going. This is a hard point. I want you to hang in there with me. God knows everything, right? 
Okay, God knows everything. We say that, we've said it a million times. He knows everything. He's never surprised by anything, nor will he ever be surprised by everything. He knows everything. In fact, and this is what I want you to listen to, in fact, if there was one iota of any, listen, if there was one iota of anything that he did not know, you understand what I'm saying? One little dot of anything that God did not know, he would not be God. You see? Now here's why. If he, if there was one little thing that he did not know, then that one little thing is outside of his control. And it may cause something to happen that's going to surprise him. And then I can't trust the Bible at that point. Because, see, he tells me in verse 11, he tells me in verse 11 that he makes everything Everything, everything is what? Everything's everything. He makes everything work out according to his plan. But if there's something he doesn't know about, he can't guarantee that. How many of you gentlemen have an old work truck? An old work truck. You only use it, 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 it looks like Fido. It's a thousand years old. It's all beat up. And you would kill for that truck. I bet a bunch of you got one. We've got one at the house. It's got a quarter of a million miles on it, but it runs pretty good. It's, I forget, it's a 94 Chevy, I think is what it is. It's red. It's, it's seen better days. I drove it for errands the other day because we hadn't driven the car in a while or driven the truck in a while. I had to go to the trash dump, take off some trash. I had to run down to Gray and do a little few things down here, and I was driving back home. It was full of gas, had a new battery, recently changed the oil in it. It's a little hard to start, but it's always a little hard to start. So once it's running, it's cool. So I'm, running, I'm not a thought in the world. I knew my truck sounded good, running good. Doesn't have air conditioning, so the windows are rolled down. And old Chevy, you can hear it going, bum, 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 bum. As you go to man, I'm telling you, you are big time when your car sounds like that. Have knowing all of that, how in the world, why in the world, did Wesley and Beverly Wells have to pull off the side of 129 behind the red truck that wouldn't run to help me? Well, see, I didn't know that the fuel pump was going to go out. And when the fuel pump went out, it just stopped. It made a couple little coughing noises. Seven miles from the house. I could have been home in ten minutes, but instead I was in home, at home in two hours because something I didn't know had power over me. If there is anything, listen, we're going somewhere. If there is anything that God doesn't know, he cannot be God. If there is anything that God does not know, then he cannot be God, and the scriptures cannot be true. Why does all this matter? Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, united with Christ, 
we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. We are united with Christ. I know you've heard that before, but I want you to think about what this means. He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows everything that you have ever done that's wrong in other people's eyes. He knows everything about you that's wrong, that you've done wrong in your eyes. He knows everything about you that you have done wrong in his eyes. And still we are united. Do you understand? He knows our past from the day we were conceived until right this moment, until right this moment, until right this moment. He just knows everything all the way. And still we are united. He knows everything that you're doing today. He knows every thought in your mind right this minute. He knows every hope and dream that you have. He knows which team is going to win in the games that you're watching today. He knows which games you're watching. He knows the snacks are going to give you heartburn. There's nothing he does not know. And still we are united. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow. He knows what you're going to choose to watch on TV. He knows a couple of you are going to get angry and cuss tomorrow. Yes, you will. He knows that you will make some really good choices. He knows that some of us will make some very poor choices. And still, we are united. But it's even more than that. Listen, at the right time, he will bring at the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven, everything on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with him, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. He knows everything, so he can make everything work out according to his plan. Keep following me. He can make everything work out. He will make everything work out according to his plan. He knows everything, and yet he chose you, it says. He did not accident into you. He did not walk into a room, and you were so stunningly beautiful that you took his breath away, and he had to come and meet you. He chose you from the foundation of the earth. He knows us. He chose us. He gave us an inheritance. He makes us his child. He united us with Christ. And that's a big deal because, see, at the right time, he is going to bring everything together under the authority of Christ. And if we are united with Christ, we'll be right there when everything is subjected to Christ. We're all right there in Christ. Now, let me ask this question. Other than just making me feel good about the fact that I'm on the winning team and he knows what he's doing and he knows everything, what practical difference does this make in our lives? Because that's, you know, it's all grand theological ideas. What practical, what practical everyday difference does this make? Let me ask you this. Knowing what you know now, 
knowing what we just talked about, that he knows everything, and understanding the implication of that, that there is nothing that he doesn't know. There is nothing he cannot know. He knows everything that is, and that's part of what makes him God. How can you mess up your life? How can you mess up your life? Is it possible? Follow me here. If tomorrow, if tomorrow you make the most ridiculous decision that you have ever made, I mean it's a boner. It's a bad one. And after you've made the decision, not only does it turn out bad, it turns out worse than you possibly think that it could have. It gets really, real, really out of hand. Did that take God by surprise? Was there an instant that he went, oh, Randy did that? Did he already know that? And had he, according to this scripture, already factored that into his game plan so that everything still works out according to his plan? Yeah, that's the right answer. Now, you might be puzzled a little bit and wondered where we're going and, or maybe how do all, what does all this mean but we really need to understand this because freedom lives in this and the way you worship will change when you understand this. How would you live your faith? Listen to me. How would you live your faith if you knew you could never make a wrong decision? You can never make a decision that's going to put you so far away from God that you're just, you're just done. How would you live your life now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not talking about you suddenly being able to go out and live like the devil. If you have desires in your heart to go out and live like the devil, you need to be checking your heart because there might be a little issue between you and God. I'm talking about if you are truly changed by Jesus, if you are truly born again and you are trying your best to the best of your ability to know him, and to follow him, is it possible to mess your life up so much that God cannot get glory out of it and he cannot make you a better person by it? There is no possibility. There is no possibility. Because he already knows every choice you're going to make down to the last breath you draw. And as he knows every bit of that, he's taken all of that into account so that his plan will work out like his plan's going to work out. He knows that if you're working for a company, and he knows today if they're going to offer you a new job to another city, he knows they're going to offer it. He knows the decision you're going to make. If you decide to move to that other city, he knows where you're going to live and who your friends are going to be. He knows if you and your wife are discussing having a baby or having another baby, he already knows what the decision is. And if you decided to have a baby, he, knew when it's, he knows when it's going to be conceived. That ought to scare you a little. He knows when it's going to be conceived. He knows what color its eyes are going to be, what color its hair is going to be, and how much sleep you're going to get the first year. He knows who you're going to marry if you're single. And if you're a student... He knows what your next test score is going to be. He knows. He knows it all. Now, here's what this says to me. 
God has a plan for my life. And he already knows every decision I'm going to make. And he already knows how everything is going to be when I'm called home to be with Jesus. And knowing everything about me, he has planned to conform me to the image of his son, Jesus. See, that's my purpose. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. That's what he's doing with me is everything he does to me. And sometimes he loves me into it and sometimes he beats me into it, but it doesn't matter because that's everything that he's doing. That's my whole purpose. And when I understand that that's what he's doing, I can make a bad decision somehow, not because I meant to, but because I just made a bad decision. And he says, I knew you were going to do that. Here's how we're going to use that to make you look like my son you cannot fail because even if my choice doesn't turn out like I expected he knew it all along and he's already set in place a plan to use it and to take me to the next step to be like Jesus now, what you're learning today isn't to, isn't to give you a license to have a cavalier attitude about life or to be fatalistic or anything. What, what you're learning today turns your, life, turns your life into worship. It turns your life into worship. You know the Father. And you know the Father knows all about you. And that because he is God, when he says in Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, he says, they are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and give you a hope. He's going to pull that off. And when I read that, I trust that. I trust that. And that's all he's looking for. That's all he wants. All that has to happen is me to trust him. Let him prove to you his love for you by trusting him to do what he says that he will do. That's all. So relax. And when you're sitting down making those decisions, don't go crazy because he knows what you're going to do already. Follow the desires of your heart that he's put inside of you, that you've laid against Scripture, that you've prayed about, that you know are godly, and follow it and go. Because you can't mess up. Your life may not go where you thought it was going to go, but it's going to go exactly where he knew it was going to go. There's no doubt in his mind. Listen, if you became a Christian because you didn't want to go to hell, you might have a little issue. See, being a Christ follower isn't about where you don't want to go. It's about who you're going to follow. It's about wanting to follow Jesus. It's about wanting to be made new in Jesus. To have the Father's hope for your life. And knowing you can't make that happen. You can't do that. There's only one way. You need a Savior, and one's there waiting on you. And what's the magic words? I'm heartbroken, Lord. I need a Savior.
That's it. I trust you to be God. And when you do that, you can relax because it will all be okay. It absolutely will be. Would you pray with me? Father, this teaching is difficult. And I know some people are going to hear it and it it just won't go anywhere. And some people are going to say they've heard it before. And then folks are going to go home and drive themselves crazy over the things of life. Father, we rarely hear things like this. And yet this truth can start to set us free. Lord, so many times we say you're the God of second chances. But Lord, there are no chances with you. You already know us. And you already know all of our godly successes and all of our ungodly failures. You know them all already. You've already factored those in and you've united us with Christ still. Father, thank you. Father, I pray for your flock right now, Lord, that you call out their names, that you lead them beside still waters, that you restore their souls. Father, help the people in this room to know and to be able to tell others that we aren't as battered and bruised as we think. You knew that we were going to fall, and you're using it to make us look like Jesus. How good of you, Father, to even use our mistakes to our benefit and your glory. Father, I pray, help us to live our lives as worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen.